Green Sense Show is sponsored by CEA Technology, providing a sustainable modular indoor growing system. Visit CEATECHN.com to learn more. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you eco innovations that are changing your world. The Manatee Bay buoy in the Florida Keys measured a temperature of 101.1 Fahrenheit at 6 p.m. local time on July 24th, setting a record high temperature for ocean water in the area. Following an unprecedented rise in ocean temperatures, this week's guest has recently returned from a multi-institutional research expedition to study coral bleaching impacts from Miami and the Florida Keys to the Dry Tortugas. Here to tell us more is Dr. Ross Cunning, research expert at the Chicago Shedd Aquarium. Ross, welcome to the Green Sense Show. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here and talk about what we've been up to. Well, they say it's not work when you love your job, and studying coral reefs in the Florida Keys sounds like one fantastic job. So let's uh, talk a little bit about your background. So if you can give a brief overview of what you do at one of the jewels in Chicago's uh, museum complex, the Shedd Aquarium, and your educational background and how you got there. Yeah, so I am a full-time researcher um, here at Shedd Aquarium in our conservation research department. And I do research here that focuses on reef building corals, um, understanding the biology and ecology of corals, the animals that build our coral reefs, um, and then the ecology of those ecosystems and all the benefits they provide um, to us. So I've been studying corals here at Shedd Aquarium for about five years, um, but I've been working on corals for, for over 15. Um, I started studying corals as a graduate student at the University of Miami's Rosenstiel School, um, where I did my PhD research on corals and understanding their heat tolerance. Um, and then after graduate school, I went and worked for a few years in Hawaii at the Hawaii Institute of Marine Biology, where I continued working on corals and coral heat tolerance. Um, and then uh, and then I am continuing that line of research here at SHED. Let's start out very simple. Uh, I'm not sure how expert uh, our audience is. Uh, what is coral? Is it a rock, a mineral, a plant, or an animal? So that's a great question, and it's a little bit of, of all, um, but corals are actually animals. Um, they are living animals, and they have inside of their tissue um, tiny plant cells. So that's the plant part. They have these single-celled algae that live inside of them that are performing photosynthesis, just like all other plants. And that's actually corals' primary food source is, is the products of photosynthesis of these tiny algae that live inside of their tissues. So it's like they're filled with little solar panels um, that, and they get all their energy from the sun through these tiny plant cells that live inside them. But they themselves are animals. And as they get this food from their, their tiny solar uh, panel plant cells, they then create this skeleton that they secrete underneath them, which is uh, calcium carbonate or limestone. Um, so that's how they are sort of like rocks too, because as they grow, they secrete more and more of these layers of calcium carbonate that build and grow the reef structure, that three-dimensional um, underwater structure of the coral reef. 
so they are they are animals but they rely on these plant cells um that they have this symbiosis with and then as they grow they they produce coral rock what a fanci- fascinating piece of biology anything else in the ocean or on land like a coral reef that's plant animal and rock and mineral <laughs> There, I'm not sure about all three. There's many other examples of symbiosis like that between the, uh, the corals and, and their symbiotic algae. Lichens are another example of this uh, symbiosis between fungi and, and algae. Um, and you know, many, there's symbiosis throughout the natural world. I think corals are are the most fascinating of all. Um, in you know that the symbiosis really is at the core of of how they live and and how they're so important too. Because without this symbiosis, um, we wouldn't have coral reefs. You know that their symbiosis with these tiny plant cells is is the key to their success in in tropical oceans and the whole reason that they're able to grow and build these incredible uh, reef ecosystems, you know, that are some of the largest living structures on on Earth, um, that are built by these tiny little coral animals and the even tinier plants that live inside of them. So tell us why are coral reefs so important to the ocean ecosystem? Yeah, so coral reefs are incredibly important. They provide so many different uh, goods and services to to pe- to people and communities on tro- tropical coastlines around the world, and those that live further away. They they um they support an enormous amount of biodiversity. So they're called the rainforests of the sea because they, like rainforests, have an incredible number of different species of animals and plants that call a coral reef home. Um, and that's because those corals, the coral animals, are building this complex three-dimensional structure that then all of, uh, provides the habitat for all of the other organisms that live there, places for them to hide from predators, places for them to, to seek prey. Um, and this complex three-dimensionality that that provides the the living space for all of these organisms. So the biodiversity is hugely important um, and may have, you know, we're only just starting to understand all, all of its possible benefits. Another name for reefs is the medicine cabinets of the sea. And that's because a lot of these organisms that live on coral reefs may have uh, really important um, medical applications for us. In fact, there's um, one compound that remdesivir that was used to treat COVID that was uh, based on something isolated from a, a marine sponge that you could find on coral reefs. Um, so this there's so much more untapped and unexplored biodiversity that may have benefits that we don't even know about yet. So this biodiversity is, is really important. But another yeah. thing that corals do is they actually physically protect our coastlines. That three-dimensional structure, the, the huge um, mass of the coral reefs actually buffers wave energy. So they can attenuate over 95% of wave energy to protect our coastlines and, and the erosion of, of our coastlines. So they provide that direct physical barrier that, that protects coastlines around the world. Um and, and fisheries too, you know, those many organisms that live on coral reefs, uh, many of them are really commercially important fisheries. Um, and, and those fish are, are dependent during some of their life cycle on, they live on coral reefs. So without coral reefs, we we might would not have these um, important fisheries that, that provide nutrition to hundreds of millions of people around the world, as well as livelihoods of, of, of fishers. Well, that helps uh, put that into context. And you recently returned from a week-long expedition to Florida, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, studying the coral reefs. 
The team observed that 90% plus of the coral surveyed showed signs of extreme bleaching and dead or dying coral species. I take it coral is like the canary in the coal mine. It's an indicator of the health of the ocean water. Is that correct? Yeah, corals are some of the most sensitive uh, species to to temperature. So we're seeing the effects of warming in our oceans very acutely on coral reefs. And what does uh, bleach coral indicate? So bleaching is a stress response that occurs when the water is too warm. And it's actually comes back to that symbiosis I was talking about with the tiny plant cells that live inside corals. Um, when the water gets too warm, that symbiosis actually breaks down and the coral animal will expel those um, tiny algae living inside of them. And the loss of those algae oh. actually causes the color of the coral to turn white because um, it's actually those algae that are packed in, living inside of the coral tissue that also give the coral its color. And so when the coral expels all of those algae, it actually turns white because what you're seeing now is the, the skeleton below that thin layer of, of living coral tissue that now um, is not, no longer full of algae. And without those symbiotic algae that corals depend on for food, um, the corals are essentially starving while they're bleached. Um, they're still a, they can still live for some time in a bleached state, but now they're not getting all that critical food food source produced by the algae that they've expelled. And so, um, if the bleaching is too severe or lasts for too long, then those corals will essentially starve and die. Um, and so that's why often these mass bleaching events that we see in response to, to marine heat waves when the water gets too warm um, can cause these corals to bleach. And then um, we see mass mortality of corals often follow. Is that the only cause for the bleaching or can there be other contributors like agricultural runoff or industrial wastewater that also impact the coral? Or yes, is it mainly the heat? It. Yes, it is mainly <laughs> it is mainly the heat, but you're you're right that these other factors can play a role too. There's some work that I, that uh, shows that actually nutrient enrichment can make corals more susceptible to bleaching. Um, so these other stressors like that that occur from agricultural runoff and you know other aspects of of water qualities of decreased water quality can make corals more sensitive to heat stress. Um, and more susceptible to bleaching. So there, there are sort of synergies between these, these stressors um, and they all can affect corals. But the primary driver um, of coral bleaching that we're seeing becoming more frequent, more severe um, around the world is, is directly related to the, the increased frequency of marine heat waves um, that are resulting from, from warming of our oceans due to climate change. I'm going to read a quote uh, that I read that you said uh, uh, in your expedition. Tragically, our mission turned from rescue to witness, says Cunning. This is the worst bleaching event in history and the impacts the high temperatures have had on the Florida's uh, genetic coral diversity cannot be understated. This is very serious. Uh, uh, why isn't there more uh, mass media covering this issue? And why isn't it highlighted uh, uh, more to the public? 
It's it's very severe. Yeah, we've never seen anything like this um, in Florida. You know, there has been some some coverage of what's of what's going on. But I'm you know grateful to you for for covering this in in areas that are further away, maybe from reefs where people think about corals less than than you know you you might if you you were living along the Florida Keys. Um, but nonetheless, is is just as important. You know, this this affects all of us. These the impacts of climate change on coral reefs and other ecosystems around the world um, are 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 alarming and something we all need to be very concerned about, and we all um, need to be part of the solutions um, around too. So, so it's it's really important that everybody is. Uh, is aware of what's happening to the reefs right now in Florida, but also we may see similar stories coming from uh, other places around the world over the next year or so as an El Nino event is sort of unfolding and building upon the already um, warmer ocean temperatures that we're seeing, which is is, is kind of another factor that that explains why this is happening right now. And we may see these these uh, conditions spreading around the world and, and reefs around the world suffering some of the worst bleaching that they've ever experienced over, over in the coming year or so. I take it corals are near the bottom of the food system. And so if they collapse, you're going to start to have this cascading effect of, of, of sea life dying. That's absolutely right. Yeah. So because corals are the foundation of these ecosystems, if we lose those coral animals that build the reefs, then eventually over time, we'll lose the three-dimensional structure of the reef itself. And that's a process that, that will take some time. You know, it won't crumble overnight because, you know, when those corals die, their skeletons are, are left behind. Um, and so that three-dimensional structure is still there, but it won't grow anymore if those corals are are dead. Um, and eventually, over time, then those that three-dimensional structure will begin to erode away, um, and eventually will turn uh, sort of flatten and, and turn more to rubble. And at that point, then you've lost the the structure that provides the habitat for all of the other animals and fishes that that depend on coral reefs. And so you you will have these cascading effects where you, then you'll start to lose the fish um, and the other uh, organisms uh, from these ecosystems that we depend on. When did extreme heat become an issue? So our oceans have been warming for some time, um, but we are seeing um these sort of acute marine heat waves now becoming more and more prevalent um and we've had um, a handful of, of what we consider global mass coral bleaching events now where we see um reefs all around the world bleaching from from high temperatures um we saw one of the first times that was observed was um in the early 80s and then again in the in the late 90s 1997 98 when we had another strong el nino event and we saw bleaching occur around the world um we had the last uh, global coral bleaching event spanned from about late 2014 into 2017 associated with another strong el nino um, and now we may be entering in 2023 another global mass coral bleaching events. So so what we're seeing is that these these episodes of mass coral bleaching associated with sort of anomalously high water temperatures are occurring more 
and more frequently and, and are projected to, to continue increasing in frequency as these events are sort of layered on top of a gradually increase, uh, war gradually warming ocean. Well, you either were a great visionary or lucky you've been studying this for 15 years. Thankfully, we have someone with your level of expertise that's on top of the case. Uh, so the question comes, what can we do and how do we prepare and safeguard our corals for future warming events if it seems like this is more prevalent? Right. So there, you know, there is uh, research and things we're, we can do that we're working on here at SHED and, and folks are working on around the world um, to try to boost the heat tolerance of corals so that we might be able to help more corals um, survive these extreme warming and bleaching events. And that's work that that we must carry on and continue to do as scientists and resource managers to try to give the corals that we have left the best chance for survival in the future. But the most important thing that we can all do to that must be done um, to ensure a future for coral reefs is to address climate change um, and to do so as quickly as possible and on as large of a scale as possible. So we need global action on climate change to decarbonize our economy and reduce uh, fossil fuel emissions that are causing this warming um, so that we stop warming our oceans. Um, because all we could do all the science uh, that we want, and it's not going to be enough to to allow corals to survive in in, in oceans that that continue warming, you know, unabated. So we must uh, mitigate future warming as much as possible by by addressing climate change um, and uh, immediately and at a global scale. Well, we've been on air since 2010 uh, covering this issue. We've had many thought leaders on climate change repeating this message warning us a long time ago this is going to happen. Almost everything they've predicted is coming true now. So give something that's concrete and easy for individuals to do to make things better. Yeah, I think, you know, there are many things you can do and your choices you can make um, in your own lives to that that raise awareness about climate change and that demonstrate commitment to to climate change um, to addressing climate change you know any actions that reduce your own sort of uh, carbon footprint um, I think these actions are important and especially as as a tool to sort of demonstrate this commitment and raise awareness that um, in others that you know the that changes are required um, of all of us that we have to be um, willing to to do these changes, willing to um, express the importance of these changes to others, um, kind of build this larger conversation that's going to lead to collective action, because we really need collective action on very large scales um, in order to really make make a dent in in um, emissions and and mitigating warming to a degree that's going to matter on on a global scale. So I think the more we talk about it, the more um, we raise awareness about it and, and and generate this sort of collective awareness of the urgency and action we must take on, on larger scales is really important. And we must you know, be really aware of what we're voting for and who we're voting for and the platforms that they support um to to generate actions at the high you know higher levels of our political and economic systems um and that's that's going to be the most important thing so talking about it and, and using our voices to to vote and the choices we make um to really prioritize systemic changes um that are going to actually have a meaningful impact on on mitigating climate change 
and vote with our money. Uh, support the companies exactly. that are are green and doing uh, sustainable initiatives that that don't contribute to this uh, cause. Um, your your observations indicate a very bleak reality. Is it despair or is there hope? You know, where where is a positive bright light here? You know, there's there's absolutely still hope. Every you know degree still matters. Every tenth of a degree matters. You know, we can we can choose between you know bad and and even worse. But but we do have control over you know where we go from here, and you know where where we are is not where we'd like to be. You know, there are, it is bad. The impacts that we're seeing already right now you know, are, are bad for ecosystems like coral reefs and, you know, and others, um, you know, climate change is, is happening. It's here now and it's having um, massive detrimental impacts around the world. But based on where we go from here, we can prevent that from, from getting even worse. And, you know, every, every little bit that we can uh, mitigate future warming will, will ensure that things don't get, you know, even worse to the worst case scenario. So, so there's absolutely hope for us to do the best that we can from here. Well, as a young child, I remember Lake Erie was on fire and we turned that around. So to your point, there's always hope and it starts with raising awareness, but we're a little beyond raising awareness. We need action. And so yes. hopefully what you've done and just talking a little bit more about this is going to uh, cause a little bit more action. Well, Ross, thank you for being on the Green Sense Show and the great work you're doing. It's uh, very important we have someone with your knowledge, education, and passion uh, to help out our oceans. Uh, thank you very much for having me and for being part of this this conversation and and, and you know bringing others in too because that's the most important thing. My guest this week was Dr. Ross Cunning, research expert at the Shedd Aquarium, who's a coral biologist and, e and ecologist researching ways to boost coral reef resilience under climate change. Visit the GreenSenseShow.com website to learn more about sponsorship. I'm Robert Colangelo. Thank you for listening to Green Sense and check out the Green Sense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on 105.9 FM, WBBM, Chicago. Green Sense Show is sponsored by CEA Technology, providing a sustainable modular indoor growing system. Visit ceatechn.com to learn more.